I didn't think I'd see again. Read this. Connor's been stealing from you for years. He's kept accounts open under the names of dead men. Men like the McGoverns. I stood there and helped him kill Finn to line his own pockets. I thought it was working for you. But I wasn't. You think I'd give up my son? He was betraying you. I know. Now listen to me. I tried to avoid more bloodshed. You wouldn't accept that, so I did what was necessary. But I've always loved you like a son. And now I'm telling you, leave before it's too late. Think. Think. Now they're protecting him now, but when you're gone, they're not going to need him anymore. This ends with Connor dead, no matter what. That may be. But you are asking me to give you the key to his room so you can walk in, put a gun to his head and pull the trigger, and I can't do that. He murdered Annie and Peter. There are only murderers in this room. Michael, open your eyes. This is the life we chose, the life we lead. And there is only one guarantee. None of us will see heaven. Michael could. Then do everything that you can to see that that happens. Leave. I'm begging you. It's the only way. And if I go? Then I will mourn the son I lost. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike, and we begin a new trilogy this month. And the film that we're going to talk about today is Sam Mendes' Road to Perdition, a film that kind of went by me when it first came out. I didn't really pay any attention, um, and I haven't been able to stop like rewatching it. Like every hmm. every few weeks, for whatever reason, I find somebody who hasn't really seen it in a little while. Like my brother's never seen it. My mom hadn't seen it, was, and she's a big Tom Hanks fan. And after I'd watched it for the podcast, I was like, "You want to watch it again?" Oh, not again, but like, like "You want to watch it?" And she's said, "Okay." That would be a little weird. Yeah, if you were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> "Let's double down tonight." Yeah. Uh, so what what was going on with the Webb family back in the summer of 2002? Because uh, this was a prestige project, especially for summertime, that you were getting like a uh, what would look to be Oscar Beatty material, uh, thankfully, in that sort of like Saving Private Ryan slot, I believe, like in July. So I remember thinking like, oh, so thank God, it's like 
something for adults. Now I'm saying that I was a teenager, <laughs> but, but I was just, you know, I was so thankful that there was going to be something with some meat on its bone in summertime. And I kind of wish that Hollywood would, well, back when we had movies would diversify their calendar a lot. So this was one that I was really excited about. And I've had the opposite, <laughs> maybe not the like complete opposite, like lifespan with this film. Cause I've actually watched it numerous times again, but it was one that I was really hyped for at the time, and I was like, "Well, that was, that was pretty good." Like, you know, maybe I'd built it up uh, too much um, because it was based on a graphic novel, not one that I'd read. But it's got the father-son road story dynamic. It's gangsters. It's, uh, I believe, was this Paul Newman's last screen role? Ooh, that very well could be. And I and I'll, and actually, I just looked it up, and I'll tell you what I was doing in 2002. I was too high on Spider Man. I think that's what I was doing. There you are. There's that's the you know the other teenagers. I was like, we need an adult in the room. <laughs> we need Mr. Hanks and Newman <laughs> to set us straight. And, and I think Sam Mendes was coming off American Beauty because that was '99. Mm-hmm. And it, it was it is Newman's last feature film role. He did have some other TV and some voice acting, but yes, the last time uh, going to the movies and Webb said, "Don't need it, Mr. <laughs> Newman." <laughs> I guess not, but I'm making up for it now. After uh, all of those viewings or that viewing, you watch it again for this podcast. What did you think this time around? I guess I I, I really keyed in on the road movie aspect of it. I'm sure when I was younger, I was more focused on uh, the the time period. Um, you know, getting a, a sort of classic classic gangster setting not a classic gangster story because it is bookended by uh the son talking about uh his father and you know opening with perhaps you get the the sort of inclination how little he knows this man and then of course this this great you know ending where he simplifies it to all that you know really matters is that you know it was his father that was it i like i said i've watched it much like you, maybe I forced it on other people because I feel like I've done three different podcasts <laughs> on it. Or maybe not even like three different episodes, but it's just come up when we're talking about other movies. Um, but it's strange to me because I don't I don't feel like this is one that gets referenced a lot in pop culture. But at least in my mind, it's some sort of weird touchstone, which makes it all the stranger when I go back to my initial impressions and felt somewhat muted on it. Uh, which I really like. I really like the the movies that kind of sneak up on you that way. Uh, and there's there are different avenues you can take with it. So like this time, I'm looking at it as um, an adventure story between a father and son. I'm I'm thinking more of uh, a son learning how to drive. You know, and it, <laughs> he's learning how to drive so he can be the getaway driver. The world's I don't want to say most incompetent, but not necessarily the most timely <laughs> getaway driver. And uh, the world's most understanding bank robber for that this kid's not getting fired because they're blood they're blood related <laughs> all of those aspects some of the humor i guess is what i'm going for just some of the the sweetness of the movie before you get into the you know I, the tragedy um i was far more interested to be honest i'm not just passing the ball back to you just you know just so i can take this episode off but i was far more interested because you're the father on this episode so if i'm keying into that father-son uh, bonding time on the road and not so much the gangster stuff. I wonder what you thought as a, a new father yourself. Well, one of the things that I see immediately is the influence of Lone Wolf and Cub, 
which mm-hmm. is a yeah. which is a manga series that I actually just started, and so I'm seeing its influence constantly now in pop culture, and this is one of them. As a new father, I absolutely do see those relationships, especially with like I just saw a Hearts Beat Loud not too long ago, and I immediately connected it to that film. Okay, so this is this is kind of a tough thing for me to talk about, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it. My family, we're all we're all immigrants. And when my father came to this country, he left a really well-respected teaching position in India, and he has the equivalent of a master's degree in accounting. And he was on his way to becoming principal of a school, which is a much bigger deal than it is here. It's it's a very well-respected position in India, and he would have been able to, or he would have already been retired at this point, just living, you know, very very a very easy life at this point. And so when he came here, he had to take very menial jobs. He worked in a movie theater, which for me was actually kind of great because I got to watch free movies whenever I wanted. So that was actually kind of nice. Uh, he worked at a like a giant grocery store. He worked at a Seven Eleven, and so he, and he worked multiple jobs. And my mom also worked multiple jobs. Taco Bell at one point, McDonald's I remember, and then. While all of this is happening, I'm kind of oblivious to the sacrifices and the amount of effort that they're putting in. Uh, my father also was taking community college courses just so he could put some more recent stuff on his uh, resume. Ultimately, my father uh, uh, was very unhappy with the way things were going just because, you know, it's I can't imagine going to a new country and starting all over. And I remember one day putting on one of his, like, 7-Eleven, like, shirts... And his name tag. And I was just a kid at the time, and I put on the shirt with his name tag, and I told, and I was talking to him, and he, he clearly, I think, was exhausted after a long shift. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm you. And he, I'll never forget this, he said in a very, like, almost pleading and exhaustive voice, and he's just like, no, I don't want you to be me. Like, I, I don't wish this upon you. It's some, in, in Hindi, something to that effect. And I'll never forget that i just thought it was such an odd moment because i think i was genuinely being playful and so memories like that come rushing back when i watch this film and of course you've got tom hanks in that wonderful uh scene with his son the first time i think you ever really see them uh, uh physically show affection to one another and he says that like i was different with you because i saw too much of myself in you uh, one of the key themes in the film i think is the whole violence begets violence and it was so powerful uh, that the son did not end up shooting uh, Jude Law's like supervillain, essentially, at the end of the film. The ugliest Jude Law you'll ever Ooh, see. Wow, yeah. They, Jude Law could age another four decades. I don't think he'll <laughs> ever look this bad. He's always no. going to be incredibly handsome. <laughs> Even when he was like barely a man in, um, was it Gigolo Joe, was it? In AI, that was a sexy robot. Very <laughs> sleek, very clean. Exactly, and and so very villain, very frightening. And I'm so thankful that he did not uh, shoot him because that would have been the real tragedy. I know everyone wanted Tom Hanks to survive because how could you not? He's Tom Hanks, and uh, when he gets shot in that moment, and this is where. I give uh, the editing and the pacing and Sam Mendes a lot of props because they held that shot long enough as Tom Hanks was looking out the window. And I was like, oh, cut to black. Cut to black right now. Mm-hmm. And they don't. And, and the, the two shots that come out of nowhere. My mom 
physically jumped out of her seat and was like, no. And so it was a great, it was a great viewing experience for me. Um, I was, I was, I have a memory of my, uh, my stepmom. This isn't a road perdition related, but saving private Ryan, which was there, let's see, what was in between you've got mail. Was there anything else in between? Because uh, I guess Hanks gave us something playful and pleasant. But uh, if you're if you're going from Saving Private Ryan to Road to Perdition, uh, spoiler alert, uh, it doesn't end you know well <laughs> as far as Hanks his life expectancy. It actually it is beautiful in in both films as far as what his death means to the other character that witnesses that death. Like um, like in Road to Perdition, there is like you were saying, there's a, an obvious pride that he takes that his son maintains his his innocence his pureness that he can't take another life but my stepmom <laughs> not into war movies loves tom hanks though um probably prefers you've got mail and sleepless in seattle goes to the movies with my aunt and my father but the old man is left to see something on his own and he chooses saving private ryan and i don't remember what they chose but their movie ended quicker than saving private ryan because it's epic in scope so I think she went to track him down in the theater just to let him know, like, hey, you know, how much longer or whatever, or maybe we'll go get a bite to eat or something, but we'll we'll coordinate times. This is the age before, before cell phones were on everybody's pocket, everybody's hip. And she just happened to walk in towards the end, and he was like, no, no, shh, shh, it's in, it's you know, it's ending actually. You know, just just hold up. And she just looks up and was there for the the earn it oh. <laughs> <Next> moment. <laughs> so. The very reason she did not want to see Saving Private Ryan is she did not want to see bad things happen to Mr. <laughs> Hanks. Oh, no. And that's what she walks in on and be like, hey, is it much longer? Because we're going to go. And I just remember the story of her walking out and my, my aunt, who didn't even have time to say no spoilers. My stepmom's like, well, Tom Hanks died. I got to see that. Like, <laughs> just... <laughs> oh. Yeah, between You've Got Mail and, and Order Perdition, uh, Toy Story 2, Green Mile, and Castaway. Busy, busy guy. Oh, okay. I, how am I forgetting those? Uh, Green Mile and Castaway, uh, at least he, he survives the experiences, but I'd say there's a fair amount of trauma. Oh, yes. In, for each of those characters. Oh, the same year for Road to Perdition, uh, Catch Me If You Can. I mean, like, this guy... A total stud. Ah, uh, I love, I love Catch Me If You Can. That now that's we're coming up on the holiday season. That's one of those like oddball Christmas movies that I I love to have on. I I also have a great memory of watching that with my mom and my my grandma, who I was very close with. It's passed on now, and she loved uh, stories about criminals, but always likable criminals, charming criminals, and that's she loved that movie. This is me just trying to avoid talking about uh, Tom Hanks dying in front of his child. I know, right? like, oh, let's go somewhere happy. Let's go, well, let's, let's go talk about something happy, and because this Tom Hanks performance might be one of the most understated that he's had in his entire career. Mm. It's not flashy, and so you always expect uh, something a little ex maybe eccentric, something a little very charismatic, and that's not what this is. 
I can't imagine thinking that Tom Hanks would be the right person for this role, and yet here we are. Is it the closest? He comes to playing a villain? Like, he does things that are not noble. I mean, he's, I guess, within that subculture, he's considered a noble man. Right. But as far as the, you know, the agreed-upon rules, like, there's that great back and forth with him and, and Newman that uh, Young Webb didn't care uh, spit about at all, where he's, you know, Newman's telling him, like, hey, man, we this is the pact we made. Like, you, you understood what you're getting to. And he's like, yeah, but Michael didn't. My son did not. He still has a chance. You know, Newman's whole none of us are getting to heaven thing. Uh, just some great, great, like, dialogue. Just great back and forth with, like, great actors. It's That's why I opened with Prestige, because I'm like, oh, my goodness. You get a director coming off of a Best Picture winner. You get Newman and Hank sharing the screen. You get future James Bond playing the black sheep. Oh, he's son. so smarmy. <laughs> Daniel Craig. Yeah. <laughs> Ew, it was so good. Uh, yeah, a very rare villainous performance from Tom Hanks. I certainly agree. Uh, and he nails it. He nails that. And you know what? You you mentioned the dialogue. There is so much visual splendor in this film. And I think Mendes purposely decided that this was going to be more of a visual treat. And they tried to limit as much dialogue as possible. Uh, for example, the scene with him and Paul Newman playing on the piano. Like, nothing needed to be said in that moment. And it's so... Breaking oh. little Daniel Craig's heart. Oh, right? He can... <laughs> oh, Obviously, it's not going to apply to everyone's walk life, but is it just a common, like, sort of trope in literature, film, uh, this bond or lack thereof is going to be so affecting on a son? Like, their relationship with their father is going to define them in some way, because there's nothing about what we see between how Craig and Newman play it that it's like he's tried to emulate his father at all. Like, he's 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 definitely going the other way. And is is brash and young and seems to think that he knows better and keeps making mistake after mistake, which, I mean, the, the crux of the story is that he, he turns on Michael Sullivan and his family just, you know, on his own. But that scene, like, just, like, do you feel like that's the, the not maybe the moment in his life, but that's the moment they're telegraphing to us that he will use any excuse to do some harm to this man that in some way has stolen his father from him, or at least he perceives has stolen his, his place as being treated like a son. It's, it might be part that and part also wanting to make his father proud, maybe to shift that focus onto him rather than Michael. So I guess in a way, yeah, that would be jealousy. Yeah. It's all just so fucking hilarious. Awesome. That's fucking so hysterical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I, there is absolutely, uh, um, parallel between the way Paul Newman is the father uh, and uh, Tom Hanks, both who will do anything for their children, and that uh, going back to what you mentioned, like how I look at this movie, that that that's absolutely how I, not that I see myself as either man, but I absolutely do understand where they're coming from, where they'll do anything. But for it's their mirrored, child. like both sons feel that their their fathers keep them at an arm's length. Yeah. And yet they've been able to have this relationship with someone outside of the family that it pains them in some way. Like, I mean, obviously, uh, young Michael Sullivan, played by future, <laughs> um, I guess, great baseball player in Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some, 
Um, I that's did you recognize that at all? Because no, I, no, I'm no. a huge everybody wants some fan, and seeing the the eyebrows and uh-huh. those eyes, the face, I'm like that's that's the the, the alpha male from everybody wants some. He's <laughs> he's the one telling everybody that he's the best and basically know their role. Uh, little Michael Sul- Sullivan turned into a jerk baseball player, but I mean both of them recognize in those moments that there's going to be some sort of bond that they can't ever have with this this man that. I assume that they idolize, you know, it has that sort of classic tradition that, you know, they're looking at, you know, the model for their own masculinity in a way, but decidedly different as far as, you know, how they, they lash out Daniel Craig. God, I mean, he orders kill after kill. You know, it's another sequence I love because I'm just stuck on the dialogue. Um, but you brought up a good point as far as the, the pauses in between you have uh Stanley uh, Tucci come in here and he he basically has to take meetings with all parties involved once the shit hits the fan uh, in Chicago. And there's a moment where Daniel Craig tells him, like, hey, you know, you can't talk to me that way because I'm the future. Like, think about how you're going to talk to me, like, once my old man is gone. <laughs> Tucci, like, after Craig, as he's walking out of the room, him, like, literally, like, biting his tongue. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, like... Actually, I have to take it now. <laughs> but when your father passes, you don't know what you're in for. Like, <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> I love the Tooch. Love the Tooch. And I think Stanley Tucci might be... Oh, God. Is he the greatest like character actor ever? I feel like this is... If I were to ever... <laughs> in the multiverse, my film career, that's the career I want. I want to show up in whatever project, crush it, mic drop, and peace out. He's so good in this, and I earlier today I was watching the Pelican Brief, and he shows up as an assassin in the Pelican Brief, and I'm so happy. Oh, I've got to rewatch this now, <laughs> just for that. I was so happy, and he he plays an assassin who is able to essentially trying to camouflage, and so he there's a sequence where he's even like changing his voice to match somebody else's who he's just killed at, to try to fool somebody else. Oh he's my goodness. So good and, and is this still 4.99 today is this, <laughs> it is can i get it cheap it is i boy they should charge half that because i think half the movie is worth it the other half not as much <laughs> but he's so good in this too a very different uh frank nitty right from yeah. what we see in the untouchables where he's just like creepy <laughs> a well creepy assassin this guy is middle management i always love middle management in movies hate it in real life but to put upon middle managers in this gangster movie uh, yes, very much identified with what he's dealing with there. The father and son theme, uh, just to go back to that uh, real quick, is, the scene that really does it for me is is when Paul Newman, like he's he's older, he can't quite have the strength to f- do it in, in full force, but he's attacking his son, saying, I curse the day you were born. And he ends that sequence with just hugging him and just holding him as tight as he can. And Daniel Craig also just like, you know, kind of collapsing in his father. That scene says it all. Like, it's it's just so damn powerful. Um, I, I think this is Sam Mendes' best film. Um, I look forward to rewatch. I This might be a multi-watch, like annually, multi-watch annually film for me. I think... Yeah, I just I, I can't get enough of it right now. I, I really like that because you, uh, I didn't know where your headspace was. Like obviously, our our theme as every month will reveal itself to the uh, 
you know, the, the people who take this ride with us uh, for our selections. Uh, but I, I didn't know if this is one that you were revisiting um, just because of the chosen theme, but it sounds like you've you've snuck a fastball by me where it's like you really, really wanted to talk about this one specifically. <laughs> and then the, the theme has launched off of this, much like, you know, your selection of Harvey is like, let's just do Harvey and go from there. So uh, I think it's a good time period to talk about though for for our theme because without revealing it you know they're all going to be about kind of oddballs out of step with the the time period and this one really feels like uh you get this more in like westerns or it's like the gunslingers like in their last days like before you know law and order took place and this this feels like not only does Tom Hanks' character is a father, not one of son, to follow him in this this life of crime, but it's like he can see a future ahead that doesn't involve him, and he doesn't look at that as like, uh, you know, incredibly like nihilistic or depressing. Uh, he actually looks at this as like that's what his whole life is built towards. So like your your story, you're talking about with your father. Like this is all a means to something greater than himself. Exactly. And on this rewatch, I wanted to just. I guess, you know, toss you a last question. Do you think the whole time that Papa Sullivan here, is he, um, does he think this is a doomed quest? Does he honestly believe that he will be able to go stay at the, the, you know, initially it's the ants and then he's like, okay, they're, they're going to follow us there. They know we're there. Do you believe that he's being totally genuine with his son when he says that? Or does does he always think that in some way he is doomed, but he can get his son out of this? It's just that last shot of him, as you said, just holding at the window. Yeah. It like holds can't, so like long. Can't it's believe a, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is, this is not going to last this, you know, this can't have worked out this way. Like I, it's like, there is no next step for me. There's a next step for my son. Yeah. But this is, this was, you know, my end should have already happened by now, which, I like your interpretation as the audience where you're just yelling at the screen end, just end already. Like, um, but yeah, that's, that's stuff that I, you know, I can't quite, uh, get a handle on, which probably lends itself to rewatch is, you know, you just are studying the actor. You're just trying to get into their head and there's still some of that stuff that they keep for themselves just out of reach. And I think those are always better performances that way. Yeah. At least the goal for Michael Sullivan is, this is a fight for my son's soul. Like, he wants something better for him. How can I do that? And I think that end uh, of him looking out at the beach, it's almost like his goal is completed. He has no other purpose at this point. It's the only logical conclusion. Um, and it, it happens just to be a damn good one. Uh, I wish I could say more, but I've got to hold my tongue uh, for, for the wrap-up show. That, that's your clue to your listeners that you have to keep downloading <laughs> to, keep, <laughs> to keep listening. Yeah. <laughs> always, always leave them wanting more.